0: You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George Willis, which is from the sermon series, The Bible Tells Me So. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Ooh, I raised that a little high, a little too high. Uh, I want to welcome everyone online. If you're watching online, again, I want to encourage you, uh, check us out in person if you're able. Uh, I mean, because... It's a different experience when you're physically here. So if you're watching online first service, uh, you're more than welcome to come and hear it again. And I promise you, it will be a different experience if you're here physically than watching online. The worship experience is different. Receiving of the words a little different when you get to gather with people. Uh, But I totally get it. Pajamas and pancakes on the couch while you're watching church. It's always a, a good thing. Listen, I, I ain't complaining. Hey, I want to say hi to um, Hannah watching from Arizona. Ken and Jan Perry, you're watching from Oregon. Uh, have hope or have peace. These code names are still throwing me off. Uh, my mom, she's watching from Nevada. My sister's watching from Oregon. And my daughter, Munch, give you a shout out because you asked for it, uh, is watching online. Make sure you let Grandma Brenda know that you love her. Okay, and Aunt Tammy. Um, and everyone else, Eric Johnson, I, I, I see you. Uh, who else? Cheryl Middleton, you're watching online. Tari, thank you for moderating. And Trina, I know you're online. Uh, <laughs> mo- thank you for moderating. Uh, we're, we're in for a good Sunday because we are in our last Sunday of 40 days in the Word. And this is our sixth week. And what I want to do today is I want to answer this question as we prepare for our last small group on Wednesday or this week, whenever you have your small group. I want to answer this question. How do I keep, how do I keep on continuing in the skills and the habits that we've been developing in God's Word over the past six weeks? Basically, I, this is the question we need. How do I maintain a heart for God's Word? How do I maintain a heart for God's Word? Jesus said this. He said, Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, you are truly my disciples if you do what, church? Oh, we don't have it up there. You are truly my disciples if you do what? Remain faithful to my teachings. teachings, And you you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say... You know, you are my disciples if you, you know, only do 40 days of reading your Bible. He said, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciple. So this week, I want us to look at how do we maintain a heart for God's word? How do we maintain a desire for God's word? How do we integrate the word of God into our life? in every area of our life because that word integrate you you know what integration is right it's the opposite of segregation it's the opposite of compartmentalizing our life segregation means to separate our lives into groups When we compartmentalize our life, we say things like this. Well, this is my personal life. This is my church life. This is my school life. This is my work life. This is my sex life. This is my social media life. And you segment, you compartmentalize your life. And what happens is we live a segregated life. See, you don't have an integrated life, which means, you know, kind of it's kind of the same word and they they go together a segregated life which means you lack integrity because integrity comes from the same word and to have integrity means you live your life integrated as whole you don't act one way with this group of people you don't act one way with that group of people you don't act different at home than you do at church and the way you act at church is not different from the way you act at work we act the same in all areas as a whole. Our life is integrated. Our life is lived with integrity. I heard this morning in one of my devotionals said uh, a, a, a preacher was talking to his congregation and he said, uh, you know, be, being a pastor and coming to church, let me see if I can, I don't want to mess this up, but he said that uh, the only people, I, you know, I only know the church version of you. understand what that means and I think a lot of us only know the church version of one another see I want to live I want us to all live an integrated integrous life integral integrous come on you English majors I want I want you I want all of us to become men and women of the word now how does this happen It's not going to happen unless you have desire. If you have no intention or a desire to be a man or a woman of the Word of God, it's never going to happen. It all starts with desire. If it's important to us, we make it a priority. If it's not important to us, we make an excuse. The first verse we're going to look at today is out of Psalm 119, is verse 20. And It says this, what I want most, in other words, the number one priority in my life, what I want most, and at all times, that means in every area of my life, it's integrated, is to do what? Is to honor your laws. Here's what David is saying here. He says, I want to be a man of the word, whether I'm at work or I'm at home or I'm at a game or I'm playing with my kids or I'm on the golf course. I want to be a man of God's word. I want to be led, and I want to be guided, and I want to be directed by the Word of God. Today, we're going to learn how to do that. How do you, and and how we do that is in these six very easy steps. Well, easy to say, I guess. But the steps are actually the six Bible verses that we've been memorizing throughout the last six weeks. And if you'll, you know, not just memorize these verses, but you begin to build your life around them, then you'll become a woman or a man of the Word of God. Because these things that we've memorized, they teach us how to take the Bible. They teach us how to build on it, to feed on it, to live by it, to grow through it, and to act on it, and most of all, to trust it. So let's look at these six verses. The first thing we're gonna, you know, the first thing we, we need to do if we're gonna become a man or a woman of the word of God is we must build our life on the word of God. We just sing about it. We build our life on it. We build our life on it, not around it, but on it. In other words, I make the Bible the foundation for my life. And whatever is the foundation will determine how big, how big of a structure I can build on it. So I'm going to build my life on the Bible. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. At the very end of this famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who what? hears these words of mine and does what, let's say it together, Puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. See, if you build your life on the rock of truth, truth never changes. You know what changes? Opinions. Opinions change, but truth never changes. If, it's, if it was true 2,000 years ago, guess what? It's going to be true today. If you build on the rock of God's word when you're going to build on the you're going to you're going to end up building on the stability of something that never ever changes when the storms of life when the difficulties when when frustrating circumstances and trials and troubles and temptations if, when they all come blowing through because they will you're not blown away because you have a firm footing a firm footing you built your life on the rock a solid foundation. On the other hand, if you build your life on the shifting sands, right? The, sh- the, the I want to be careful how say shifting sands <laughs> of just opinion or, you know, whatever happens to be popular at the time or whatever, the foundation is going to crumble. We need to say, God, I'm going to build my life on this book. I don't always understand it. It's not always easy to read. I don't even always like what you have to say. But God, even if I don't like what you say, I'm going to build my life and, and you know because I know what you say is true and that you're not going to lie to me because God doesn't lie. It's the truth. I think most people Unfortunately, build their lives on shifting foundations and their lives fall apart. Let me give you four common foundations that you do not want to build your life on. The first one is popular culture. Some people build their life on pop culture because they think, oh, I just do it because everybody else does it. I just do what everybody else is doing. If it's popular, I do it. If it's not popular, I don't. If it's popular trend, I dress like that. If it's not, I don't. The problem with that is whatever is popular today is going to be unpopular tomorrow. Whatever is in style today will be out of style tomorrow. Whatever is cool today is going to be so uncool tomorrow. So it's constantly changing the foundation. God says in Exodus 23, 2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Because the crowd is often wrong. He says, don't build yourself on the shifting sand of popular culture. The second thing you don't want to build on is tradition. Now, for some of us, a little farther along in the years, like, whoa. You're kind of getting in my bubble here. A lot of people build their lives on tradition. In other words, I do it because I've always done it. I do it because my parents have always done it. I do it because my grandparents have always done it. We've always done it that way. Now, tradition isn't bad. I mean, truth be told, you know, if something becomes a tradition, it's because it, it actually works. But no tradition lasts forever. Traditions eventually wear out. Traditions eventually become obsolete. Even Jesus says this in Mark 7, 8. He says to a group of religious leaders, He says, You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And I think a lot of churches are like that. They're holding on to traditions that aren't really in the Bible. You want to bring it a little closer to home? When we set up more chairs and less tables. (laughs) But we added two more tables. What's happening is, is we're holding on. We're holding on to traditions that aren't really in the Bible. We've always done it that way. Traditional. It's tradition. You know what Jesus is saying? Be careful that you don't put tradition before truth. Because that's what's going to get us in trouble. A third thing you don't want to build your life on is simply reason. Reason. We all all need reason because reason is reasonable. Right, David? Reason is reasonable. In fact, God gives us the ability to reason. But sometimes what you think is reasonable is not actually right. Just because it seems reasonable to us, it doesn't mean it's actually right. Well, I've always thought that. Well, it really doesn't matter what you've always thought. What matters is what the right thing to do is in this circumstance. Well, I just thought I should have, but it doesn't matter. What is the right thing? When I rely on my own in- intellect, which is limited, when I do what I've always thought I should do or how it's always done, what seems reasonable to me often ends up being a mistake. Can anybody relate to that? Reason is a good thing, but it's, it's not infallible. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right. You mean to us as a man, as a woman, as a human, it it seems right. It seems like the right thing, but in the end, what does it do? It leads to death. It's a dead end. How many times have you made a decision that you thought was reasonable? You know, I I thought it was, I need to marry this person. I need to get this job. I need to start a business. I need to upgrade this device or my wardrobe. You thought it was reasonable. I need to accept this job offer. And what seemed like the right thing was an absolute disaster. In your new job, you're going, why did I ever quit my old job? Because your reason isn't perfect. Perfect. We make mistakes. We're not always, even when we think we're being logical, we're not always logical as we think we are. The most important one to avoid, and this is the fourth one, is emotion. Feelings. Feelings are valid but not always accurate. Some people build their life on emotions. They build their lives on a feeling. If it feels right, I do it. If it doesn't feel right, I don't do it. In other words, I do what I feel like doing, and when you do what you feel, you know, then you do what you feel, and then you, I feel like doing, you know, if I feel like doing it, it must, you know, and it feels right, then it must be right. Here's the problem. Feelings lie. And no one, no one lies to you more than yourself. Feelings lie. Feelings lie. They lie to you all the time. And your feelings sometimes tells you things are going great when they aren't. And sometimes your feelings tell you things are going horribly wrong when they're actually going better than expected. Feelings lie to you all the time. They're highly unreliable. You can't trust your feelings. If you live by your feelings, you'll spend your life manipulated by your mood. If you only want to do what you feel like doing, then the reality is 99% of us will, would end up staying in bed and accomplishing nothing in life. A lot of the times, uh, to get anything done, guess what? You have to do what you don't feel like doing. And if you build your life on emotion, on feelings, there's a word for that. And the word for that is immaturity. Maturity and wisdom is when you act according to your values, not your feelings. You act according to your values and you act according to your convictions and you act according to what is right rather than what I feel like doing. The Bible tells us in Judges 21, this is like 5,000 years ago, he said, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what they saw fit. People did whatever they felt like doing. Sounds like 2023 to me. Just doing what they feel like doing. And to show you how unreasonable and unreliable emotions are, and the reason, you know, and and reason and tradition and popular culture, how unreliable these are, I thought I'd show you the difference between you know, celebrities' views on marriage and how God views marriage. And, and the Hollywood's formula for relationship, because we all kind of look up to celebrities and, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of idolize their lifestyle, right? In opposition to how God's view on marriage is and his formula for relationship. This is Hollywood's formula for relationships, says if you want to be happy, what you do is you find the right person. If you want to be happy, you find the right person. Then the second thing you do is fall in love. The third is you fix all of your hopes and your dreams on that one person for all of your future fulfillment. And then the fourth thing, if failure occurs, repeat step one, step two, and step three. You just repeat it over and over again, you know, a dozen times, because it really doesn't matter as long as you're happy. Let me give you God's prescription for relationships. Number one, instead of finding the right person, you become the right person. You focus on building your character, building character in your life. You become the person that is worthy of marriage. You become the right person. The second step is, instead of falling in love, you walk in love. Love is a choice. It's 100% under your control. You are choosing to, you know, here's a, you say, well, we fell out of love. Just happens, you know, we fell out of love. No, you chose to fall out of love because you chose to fall in love. Love is a choice. Love is not an emotion. Love creates emotion. Don't get me wrong. But love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. It's making your problem my problem. It's choosing your need over my need. It's being other-centered rather than me-centered. You walk in love. So become the right person. Walk in love. The third thing is Fix your hope on God and honor Him through your relationship. Not one another. Fix your hope on God and honor Him. And the fourth thing, if failure occurs, repeat step one, step two, and step three. That's the difference. If you want to build your life on the Word of God... You know, you'll say, I don't always like it, even when, I don't, when it's not always convenient. It's not always politically correct. But if God said it, it has to be true. So God, I'm, I'm going to build my life on the Bible. Because you know what? God's Word, the Bible, is the final authority in my life. So build on it. And after you start building on it, the second thing you have to do is you have to feed on it. You have to consume it. Feed yourself on the Word of God. You have to feed on the Bible to get the strength that you need. Did you know the Bible uh, equates God's Word to spiritual food? If you don't believe me, me, let me give you an example. The Bible describes itself as the water, the milk, the bread, the meat of the spiritual life. Tell me that doesn't sound like a good meal. It's everything that you're going to need for sustenance. Spiritual, but you have to be feeding yourself. Nobody's going to feed you. Let me ask you this. When you're hungry, uh, husbands, how has this worked for you? Woman, go make me a sandwich. I'm hungry. (laughs) That doesn't happen. What do you end up doing? Getting out of your recliner, pausing the game, and you make yourself a sandwich when you're hungry. You have to feed yourself. You have to be consuming it. Because just like you need physical food for physical strength, listen, we've got to have spiritual food for spiritual strength. So you have to be feeding yourself constantly all the time. We need to feed ourselves so we have the strength to accomplish what God has assigned us to do in our life. The Bible says that we are all building. The Bible also says we're all in this war, a spiritual warfare that we're in. You're not going to have too much success building your life or winning spiritual battles that we all face every day if you're spiritually malnourished. So we need to be feeding ourselves the Word of God. One, One of the things I found is this. Unlike regular food, when I feed on the Word of God, the more I eat, the more I read, the more I dig in, the more I study, the more I see the goodness of the Lord in my life. You know what happens? The more... I desire it. The more I crave it, the more I need it, the more I want it. So I need to be feeding myself. Nobody's going to, you know, you, no one likes to be force-fed. Oh, I'll make you a sandwich, but it's going to be lettuce, tomato, and cucumber, and you know, and you're like, no, give me the salty meat. You don't like to be force-fed. You have to feed yourself. There's a verse we looked at in our small group a few weeks ago. It's Colossians 3.16. It says this, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. (laughs) Let the word of Christ dwell in you uh, uh, richly. Let it dwell in you. Let it take up residence in you. Let it inhabit you in a rich and profound and a life-giving way. That's what that verse is saying. So how do we feed ourselves on the Word of God? How do we allow God's Word to take up residence in our life and allow it to build us up? Let me give you a few things to write down, and these are actually some of the review points that we've talked about throughout 40 days in the Word. The first one is this. The the first way you uh, you can take the Word of God in, you can consume it, feed yourself by receiving it with your ears. Receiving it with your ears. That means, you know, I have to be hearing the word of God. The Apostle Paul says this. Uh, consequently, faith comes from what? Hearing the message. Hearing the message. And the message is heard through, uh, through the word about Christ. So how do we hear it? How do we hear it? We, well, you can hear it by committing to come to church. You, you hear it by committing to listening to God's word being communicated to you. Listen to it when it's read to you. When you're reading it off the screen, really hear the words. Listen to the words that you're hearing. You can hear the word of God. You can receive it by hearing it, by listening to, you know, on Christian. You could listen to Christian teachings on the the radio, online, on podcasts, even on TV. We put it into our ears. Of course, you know, the problem with that is, if you're like me, and most of us know this, is we forget just about everything we hear. I think the statistic is that we forget about 95% of what we hear. And if you're a husband, you forget about 110% of what you hear. (laughs) So you you, you just can't, you know, let it go in one ear and out the other. You have to do the second thing. And the second thing we do to feed on the Word of God is we read it with our eyes. We read it with our eyes. So... I hear it with my ears, but now I read it with my eyes. Why do you think God gave us this book? Why do you think God gave us this book? Not just so you can, you know, put it on your nightstand and make a nice little coaster. Having a Bible in your home is not going to bless your life. You've got to have the Bible in your heart. The Word of God needs to take up residence here. you got to take it, and you take it in by, by reading the Word of God. So we read with our eyes. We look at it, and we read with our eyes. Because we all have this problem. Not only does the truth go in one ear and out the other when we're listening to it. For me, often it goes in one eye and out the other. You know why? Because I get distracted. Can anybody relate? I get distracted. I'm not really focused on what I'm reading. So there's a third way we can feed on the uh, Word of God. We, you know, we do this by researching it with our hands and our mouths. We research it by uh, our hands and our mouth. What does this mean? We're talking about studying the Word of God studying the word of God. Remember the difference between reading devotionally and studying the Bible is that you study the Bible. You have to get a, you know, a writing utensil and some paper and you have to write down what you are seeing, what God has been showing you and what your observations are. What is God saying to you? You take time to write down your thoughts That's studying the Word, studying the Scripture, getting a Bible, a study Bible that has notes in it, and you read it, and you study it with your hands by writing things down, and you're documenting your thoughts and your observations. But you also do it with your mouth. You know how we do this? By getting together with other believers and sharing what God has been revealing to you. Talking about it. Talking it, you know, talking it out with others to say, I've been reading this passage and and God has been sharing some things with me that are, you know, shaking my soul, you know, and you talk about it and you go, hey, listen, have you ever, have you ever read this before? Have you ever experienced the same thing I'm experiencing through it? That's why being in a small group is so important. And then the fourth way we feed it yourself or we feed ourselves on the Word of God is we reflect on it in our mind. We reflect on it in our mind. I reflect on it in my mind. I just, you know, I don't just read it. uh, I just don't maybe talk about it. and, And then I go on like nothing has ever happened. But I spend time meditating on the Word of God. That's what 40 Days in the Word has been all about. Different ways to meditate, to reflect on the Word of God. Has anyone ever talked to themselves? I do all the time. I mean, we're all a little crazy. (laughs) You talk to yourself about what God is revealing to you. Talk to yourself about, you know, what God is revealing through you. Just not at one time conference, but throughout the day. That's, That's a way to reflect on it. To be thinking about it over and over throughout the day about what the Lord might have said to you in his word. Then the fifth way we feed ourselves is not only do we remember it in our mind, but we also remember it in our heart. Remember it in our heart. There's a difference between remembering with your mind and remembering with your heart. Again, this is talking about memorizing scripture. And I want to show you a little picture of what this can look like, you know, to let the word of God dwell in you richly. Listen, what I have here, I'm going to try and do this carefully, is a cup of hot water. And you guys may be familiar with this. Can everybody see that? Cup of hot water. Now this cup of hot water represents your soul. And this Lipton tea bag represents the word of God. I'm going back to my youth pastor days. <laughs> I just like to smell the tea. Listen, there's a difference. Again, we're talking about memorizing Scripture. It doesn't have to be, you know, five books of the Bible. It doesn't have to be five chapters. It it doesn't have to, it might just be a paragraph, and some days it may only be a verse or Scripture. But this, this, you know, tea represents the Word of God. It represents Scripture. But if I receive it with my ears, it's like, you know, just kind of taking the teabag and dipping it one time, and going, okay, it's good. <laughs> it doesn't really do much to the water, does it? But if I come back again and again, and I let the Word of God steep, if I, if, you know, I, I, I let it, I marinate on it, I memorize it, I read it with my eyes, I hear it with my ears, I research it, I study, I take notes, I write things down, I start to talk to other people about it, then I start to reflect on it, I meditate on God's word, I read it over and over again, I put myself in the story, 40 day people, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Emphasizing different words in different ways, asking questions, probing, probing it with questions, paraphrasing it, putting it into my own words. Lord, I heard you saying, is this what you're trying to say to me through my word? That's what I'm doing. That's what it means to reflect on it in your mind and memorizing it, remembering and coming back to it over again. You'll notice that something starts to happen to my soul just like something now is happening to that water. The water is what is it doing? It's absorbing the color. It's it's taking on the flavor and the aroma and the character of that tea. That's what it's like to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. You begin to absorb what what it's really saying when you do these things. Why does God want us to do that? That brings me to the next point. Not only are we to build on it, not only are we to feed on it, but... The Word of God, to to integrate the Word of God into our lives, we need to live by it. You have to live by the Word of God. The Word of God is not only food for your soul. The Word of God is your standard of living. It's the Word of God that sets the standard by which we judge everything else of value in our life. It's a standard by which you make decisions for the things that you are facing in life. Listen, we all got to build our life on something. You've got to base those decisions on something. It comes when you allow the word of God to become the standard by which we live. Uh, Psalm uh, one, 1 and 2 says, "Blessed." For blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. What does that mean? It means if you want your life to be blessed, you don't build your life on the counsel of the world. On the way the world thinks, on the way the world does things. You, but you meditate. You build your life on the way that God thinks. The counsel of the ungodly, that's the, the stuff we hear on the t- all the time on TV, in music, in movies, on social media. It's, it's the world around us. It's the values of the world. And the Bible says if you, want to, if you want your life to be blessed, you don't build your life. You don't live your life by walking in step with the wicked. But live your life, build your life, feed your life on the Word of God. If the the Word of God, you know, it's the Word of God that says, you know, It will give you hope when you're in crisis. It's the word of God that says it'll give you comfort when you're in despair. It's the word of God that says it will give you strength when you are weak. It's the word of God that that will give you wisdom when you're confused. It's the word of God that will give you guidance when you're looking for direction. It's the word of God that will give you strength to resist and fight against temptation. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. This is what memorizing the Bible is about. It's about hiding the word of God in our heart, taking it into our heart. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart, not so you can just be a good little Christian. I've hidden my word in your heart so that you will not, that that I, you, we will not sin against him. So often when we most need the Bible is when we don't have the Bible. Do you ever find yourself there? When we're talking to a friend who's in trouble or when we're tempted by something. That's why we have to hide the word of God in our heart. God will bring the word back to your mind. It's funny how the Holy Spirit does that. But he can't bring it back to your mind if you haven't hidden the word in your heart yet. He'll bring the word back to your mind for yourself when you're facing a difficult situation. And he'll bring the word back to your mind for for some friend you're talking to who's facing a challenging time in their life. He'll bring it back to you. Hey, Mark, listen. I don't know how I remember this, but here's what the word of God says He'll bring it back but we have to hide it. That's why God wants us to remember the word of God in our hearts. To put it in there, to memorize it, and then to let that be the standard by which we live our lives. By which we build our lives on and fight the good fight. Now I want to bring us back to the picture of this tea one more time. You see what's happening? I'm tempted to drink it. You see what's happening here just after a couple of minutes? The water has absorbed the color and the flavor and the aroma and the characteristics of of that tea. But something else has happened to this water. It's taken on a whole new identity. Because we no longer call it a cup of hot water. What do we call it now? It's a cup of tea. When you let the word of God dwell in you richly, you absorb the nature of Christ, you, you the flavor and the aroma of Jesus. But something else happens to you. You, be, you. you begin to take on a whole new identity. You become a man and a woman of God. And for some of us, you become who you've always wanted to become, what God's created you to be. Because you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not only do you know what the Word of God says, you begin to be, you know, become more and more like the author. So the fourth way to integrate the Word of God into our lives, to become a man and woman of the Word, you first make the Bible your foundation upon which you build your life. You build on it. Then you make the Bible the food you eat. You feed yourself. Third thing is you make it your standard by which you live the fourth thing you do is you make it the seed that you grow through. This is the fourth. How do I integrate the Word of God in my life? You grow through it. Grow through it. I told you a couple of weeks ago that the Bible is often referred to as a seed. It's planted in your heart. When the truth is planted in your heart, it finds good soil. It grows and it produces fruit. Remember last week, no root, no fruit, right? In order to have that, you've got to have a receptive heart. You've got to have good soil in your life. The fourth verse that we looked at, we memorized earlier this month, is Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that you may see wonderful things, or that I may see wonderful things in your law, Psalm 119.18. There's a lot of wonderful things in God's Word, amazing things in the Bible, but you can't see them unless God opens your eyes. That means being receptive. I, got, I have to be open to the word of God. Jesus told a whole story about this. It's in Luke chapter 8. It's the parable of the, the uh, soils. And you could read it when you have time. I'm just going to quickly summarize. He says a farmer goes out and sows seeds. And it falls on different kinds of soil. And he gets four different kinds of results. This represents the four different attitudes that you can have towards the Bible. Now, listen, I used to think it was talking about, you know, it represents four different kinds of people. They don't. The reality is they represent our attitudes that you and I can have on the same day. I'm not going to go through this passage. I'm just going to give you the highlights. The first one is the hardened soil. You know what this one means? The hardened soil in, in, in this story represents a closed mind. Sometimes we don't even give God a chance to talk to us because our mind is shut. Our minds are made up. Our hearts are hardened. We're we're not willing to listen. Am I just preaching to myself? I don't want to hear what God has to say about my boyfriend. Come on, somebody. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my girlfriend. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my finances. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my debt. I don't want to hear what God has to say about my sex life. I don't want to hear what God has to say about this or that because I've already figured it out and I've already made up my mind. That's a closed mind. And that's a narrow footpath. And we all know when we have a narrow footpath, it becomes hardened. That's the way a lot of people's minds are. They're narrow-minded and they're hard-minded. They're not open. They're not really open to learning new things. So what do we do to counteract that? Well, our first action, we need to say, I need to cultivate an open mind. Cultivate an open mind. If I'm going to let God's truth really change my life, if that's what I truly desire, then I have to be open to it. I have to cultivate an open mind. Then Jesus said the second kind of soil that the farmer throws seed on is the shallow soil. You know what this represents? A superficial mind. Has anybody ever had that first two? I did this morning. Sometimes we react superficially to the Bible. Yeah, we go to church and yeah, we'll say, hey, that's a, that's a good sermon. I really like that one. So good. That's so good. But we've forgotten it by the time we got back into the park, parking lot. We get excited and we react emotionally and we're moved impulsively, but we really don't let it, you know, give it the time to let it sink in. It never really penetrates the bedrock of our personality. So what is the action step if I don't want to be superficial? How do I have some depth to my life? How do I let the roots get down deep? How do I, you know, how do I get some spiritual maturity in my life? Here's a second action step. I must take time for God's word. I must take time, make it a priority, take time for God's work. If I just do a little glance at it and I don't gaze at it, I don't give it any time, then I can't build any roots. Roots take time to develop. No roots, no fruits. I think busyness is a major barrier that keeps you and I from being a man or a woman of God's word. Now the third soil, the third soil is a soil with with weeds. The soil with weeds represents a preoccupied mind. In other words, the seed God gives is the truth and he plants it in my mind, in my heart, and I go, yeah, okay, I got it, thank you for that. And I let it sit there and it starts growing, but then I let other things choke out my, you know, choke out my life. Maybe things like uh, worry and busyness and, you know... money, job, family, kids, and the weeds begin to choke it out, and I get preoccupied, and I can't really do anything about it. It becomes overwhelming. All the circuits are busy in my life, and that's why I can't hear God. What's the action step to that? It's simple. I must eliminate the distractions. I must eliminate. I I am honestly convinced, um, That the the big sin of the Bay Area is not drug addiction, it's not immorality, it's not some evil, wicked, mean, bad, or nasty thing. The big sin in the Bay Area, the big sin of you and me, is that we are all too busy. Because we fill our lives with things that aren't really that important. Then we really don't have time for what is most important. And I'm convinced that you could probably cut uh, cut about half the things that you're doing out of your life and you would actually ultimately be physically healthier and emotionally healthier and spiritually healthier. Because most people are trying to do too much too quickly and you're overwhelmed. Listen, you got so many irons in the fire, you're actually putting the fire out. You walk around tired all the time because you're trying to do things that God never expected you to do. Your mind is preoccupied. It's like, God, I want to hear from you, but I only got 30 seconds because I got to take my kids to baseball practice. That's not going to work. That's the soil with weeds. Preoccupied. I must eliminate distractions. Then finally, Jesus says there's a fourth kind of soil, which is a willing mind. That's the good soil where the seed of truth gets planted in your brain and in your heart, and it's allowed to it's allowed to grow and develop, and the roots can go deep. It gets, it gets roots, and, and then what happens is the roots go deep and they're well nourished and we produce fruit in our lives. This is a willing mind. A willing mind says, God, I'm willing to learn. God, I'm teachable, God, I'm humble. And listen, God, I don't think I know it all. So God, teach me. Teach me. I want to hear you. And the action step is to cooperate with, you know, with God. Cooperate with what God says. That leads us to our fifth action step. If you want to be a man or a woman with God, I've got to build on it. I've got to feed on it. I've got to live by it. I've got to grow through it. Number five, I've got to act on it. I've got to act on it. I've got to do something. The fifth Bible verse that we memorized during the six weeks, James 1.22, it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Come on, church. Do what it says. If you go to church and, you know, if I go to church and I listen to the message and it's going in one ear and out the other, but, you know, I am living a life of Deception. I think because I've, maybe you, hey, well, I've written down some notes, and you know, I got this because I got my notes. I mean, really, how many of you go back to your notes? few of us. I've written down notes. I've got it. No, no, you don't have it. You don't have it, because remember, we only believe the parts of the Bible that we actually do, We've spent six weeks learning how to per, you know, write down a personal application, how to personalize it, how to paraphrase it, how to probe it, how to pronounce it, how to picture it. All those ways we talked about in our small groups. We, now we need to put into practice everything we learned. We need to act on what you've been studying. We need to be doers of the Word. Finally, there's one last thing I need to do with the Word of God if I'm going to become that person that has integrated the Word into every area of my life. Integrated, not segregated. We're not compartmentalizing here. I'm not talking these six steps to be a better churchgoer. But how to integrate it, through our, integrate it in and through our life. We must trust it. We must trust it. I build on it, feed on it, live by it, grow through it, I act on it, and I live it out by trusting it why can we trust the Bible we did a whole session on this in week one God is never going to guide you in the wrong direction other people will God will never take you in the wrong direction other people will, even well-meaning people friends and family you know they give you advice right and it's the wrong advice because they they primarily do it based on their opinion or how they feel We've had friends who love us deeply, gave you advice that was really the wrong advice. Even well-meaning people often steer you the wrong way, but God will never do that. You can always trust God. If he tells you to go that way, if he tells you to go this way, you need to go that way or this way because he's trustworthy. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steer you in the wrong direction. Why? Because he knows what is the best way to go. And if you don't do that, it's going to cause you a whole lot of problems. Psalm 119, is our memory verse for the week. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light on my path. Psalm 119, 105. Let me ask you this. Are you, are you ever in the dark? If you're being honest with yourself, you're like me and you're going to say, yeah, I find myself in the dark a lot. Some of you are going, I don't have the slightest idea of what I'm supposed to do about this relationship. Or some of you may be saying, I don't have the slightest idea what I, you know, whether I should accept this job offer or not. I, haven't had, you know, I don't have the slightest idea of where I should invest next or what I should do with the next five years of my life. I am so confused. No, you're in the dark. What do you do when you're in the dark? I mean, this isn't some like deep theological thing. I mean, when you walk into a dark room, what do you do? You turn the light on. You flip the switch. You turn on the light. This is why you need to memorize this verse because it is a promise of God. The next time you're in the dark and you're confused, you don't know which way to turn, you don't know what to do, where to go, and you say, God, you've said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp for my path. God, keep your promise. I'm going to start reading your word. Show me what you want me to do. And after you start reading God's word, you start meditating. You start doing those five things that we just talked about. You you go to the word of God and you say, Lord, I'm trusting that your word will be a lamp unto my feet, that you will light my path and you'll give me the next step I need to take. You may not show me the end of the path, but you will show me the very next step and the direction I need to go. And when I'm confused and I don't know what to do about this relationship or this job or my finances or whatever. I know you promised to show me and I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. And guess what? When you do that, you'll see some amazing things happen. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you as we get into the last 40 days of the word. I want you to make a commitment to keep on doing what you've been doing. Keep on doing it. I want to challenge you to keep on reading your Bible every day. I want to challenge you to have a daily quiet time every day, a daily devotion. And as the worship team comes up, I'm going to invite you to stand. I want you to keep the habit of personal study. This is how we're going to grow. This is how we're going to nourish the roots. This is how we're going to experience fruit in our lives. And when you do, you become a man of the Word. You become a woman of the Word of the word. What I want you to do this week, when you go to your small group, you're going to be given a card. You're going to be given a 40 days in the word covenant. This is a covenant for after, you know, we end 40 days, which you're committing. You're saying, I commit to living a life transformed by the word of God, by reading God's word, daily by putting God's word into action and by memorizing God's word. And then what you're going to do is you're going to sign your name where it says, sign your name. And where it says, pastor, if, you, if you're here on Wednesday night, you know, I'll be more than happy to affirm that commitment by signing that card for you. Or you can have your, you know, small group leader acknowledge and affirm and sign your commitment card as well. But then you put and you, have a, a, you put that in a spot. Whether it's on your mirror that you get ready in front of every morning. Maybe on your car dash or your refrigerator. I don't know where you stick these things. But put it in that spot where it reminds you to continue in the word daily. 40 days. 40 days we've been doing this. Don't let it go to waste. Father, I want to thank you for the For your word. For your word to us. I thank you that it calms our fears. That it it illuminates and enlightens our mind. It strengthens our will. And it, it grows our maturity. I thank you, Father. That it calms our worries. And it leads us when we find ourselves in the dark. And of all the things that your word does. Father, we thank you for it, and we want to commit to being a part of an ongoing process of continuing in your word. I just want to invite you, let's sing this this verse of um, Build My Life, the first verse of it, together. Just simple. Let's make it our words of declaration this morning. Jesus, the name. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one we would ever say. Worthier than every breath you ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Now listen if you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you weren't able to sing those words, Jesus, we live for you. Jesus, I live for you. I want to invite you to take this opportunity right now to begin that relationship with him. It's not complicated. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart, all you have to say Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I open up my life and my heart to you. And I place my life and I will trust through faith in you. And I want to start this relationship today. I want to get to know you and I want to know your purpose for my life. For I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord And that you went to the cross to save me. And our Father God raised you from the dead. And I want my life to make a difference. Thank you for what you've done by sending your Son to die on the cross for me to forgive my sin. And I'm sorry. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.